You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes? Good. Let's open with prayer. Father, I pray this morning that uh, you would help me Uh, that you would help all of us, Lord, to understand uh, the things that you are saying to your people, uh, the things that you say to us through your scripture, uh, through the moving of your spirit. And Father, we pray that uh, this morning that you would uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, uh, illuminate uh, the truth for us. And we ask that we could walk forward, in your name, amen. Amen. So I have to admit, um, I had quite a bit of trouble getting started uh, with this uh, with this message, and um, it, it wasn't that I hadn't spent a lot of time reading the scripture in Philippians that we're going to be talking about. Uh, It wasn't that I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about the specific piece. Uh, I talked to some people about it. I'd read some commentaries and so on. But getting to the point of actually sitting down and saying, this is what I want to talk about, was, was really hard for me. And in doing that, it was just very easy for me to get distracted and take breaks and that sort of thing. So, for instance, yesterday, uh, I had to spend some time searching for my shorts and short sleeve shirts because I leave this afternoon for Columbia, and it's 86 degrees down there. So I got distracted from preparing my teaching. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I had to go to the bank. I had to do all these different things, and... Finally, my, my wife, Loris, who's a teacher, uh, offered me some of her sage wisdom when it came to this. She said, Carl, if you don't prepare, you're guaranteed that it's not going to snow and they're going to have the service tomorrow. <laughs> said, but if you really put your heart into it and knuckle down and prepare you're guaranteed that they're going to call the service off for snow. And this is a truth that everybody learns in the, in the school world. You know. uh, she said, it's just like homework. If you do it, it'll be a snow day tomorrow. So, now I don't know whether the logic works the opposite direction. If we didn't call off church, that means I must not have gotten prepared, right? No? No. No, it doesn't mean that. Doesn't, the logic doesn't work that way. So uh, anyway, I am going to uh, delay things just a little bit longer uh, in keeping with that. So if I could quickly just ask somebody in each of the areas just to pass out these little sheets of paper. Hopefully there's enough to go around. Uh, Scott, could you do that in the center? And some over here on Justin. And, and if you need pencils, I'm going to ask you to write something down. So I'll put a couple of these over here. And I know a lot of you carry pencils with you, but if you need them. So we're going to 
take a little time getting started here. And what I wanted to do uh, as a starting point was read a little bit from the newspaper, uh, chapter and verse, of course. Uh, and this is from the, the Capitol newspaper, and it talks about when a woman testified at an affordable housing uh, that, that, an affordable housing proposal in Pasadena for people making $50,000 a year could provide a secure place for her to raise her 12-year-old son, one of our local politicians remarked, my heart doesn't go out to you. It just doesn't. You get out of life what you put into life. You save your money, and if you can't afford to live there, you don't. He then went on in speaking to the Capitol reporter, and he said that he believes that those seeking government assistance are freeloaders. He said, who told them to have children? He then went on and said that these people use children as a crutch to describe laziness. The truth hurts, he says. And this has become a point of controversy here locally. Pretty hard words. And I don't share those words this morning for us to evaluate whether they're true, whether you like what he said or you didn't like what he said. But what I want to do is use that as an example of here's a case where somebody has very strong feelings about a person or a group of people. And those strong feelings in this case are very negative. Right or wrong, they're very negative. So what I would like you to do today, uh, as we're starting, is give that some thought and ask yourself, are there any people, individuals or groups, that you have really strong negative feelings about? that you dislike for one reason or another. Maybe they've irritated you. Maybe, as in this case, uh, this particular politician kind of thinks these people are freeloading. And can you write that down on the little piece of paper that you have? Okay, now I promise I am not going to ask you to come up and read them. But I'd appreciate it if you could write that down and put it in, put the slip of paper in your pocket and we're going to move on from there. Okay? So just a person, group of people that you really have a hard time with. And it may be you don't like the way they act, you don't think they're very smart, they do this or that, so on. Okay. So we're going to tuck that away. See where that goes. So we're now in our, what, fourth week uh, talking about the book of uh, Philippians. It's actually a letter to the church of Philippi. And this church got off to a really wonderful start. Paul and Silas ministering uh, to uh, a woman who sold sold purple cloth. Her name was Lydia. They spoke to her, shared the gospel with her. She became a believer. And uh, then she set about serving them giving them a place to stay, food to eat, and so on. Paul and Silas then go on uh, in their ministry in Philippi, and they come upon uh, a person, a a young woman who uh, does basically divination by a spirit. 
And uh, they cast that spirit out of her, uh, much to the consternation of the local Republicans who didn't like the fact that they were losing something in the economy by Paul casting out this spirit. So uh, Paul then and Silas get thrown in jail. Uh, They get tossed in this jail, locked up, and during the night as they're singing and praying, an earthquake occurs and they're broken free from their bonds. And the jailer, uh, interestingly enough, thinks about committing suicide because he's afraid that the prisoners have escaped and he's going to be in big, big trouble. So uh, Paul and Silas say, no, we're still here. And the jailer says, well, why don't you come home to my house? And he then asks them the greatest question of all time. He says, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas explain to him the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, tell him to believe on him, and he and his family will be saved. The jailer does that, and then ultimately in rejoicing, the jailer once again serves Paul and Silas, uh, binding up and caring for their wounds, feeding them, serving them, uh, even as John was talking about serving uh, here earlier. So this church gets off to a really great start. And as we've been talking about the, uh, the scripture itself, this is really a letter of encouragement, probably, possibly the most encouraging of all the letters that Paul writes to the church, uh, even to churches, even though he's actually in prison at the time uh, that he writes it. And uh, as Julie said, one of the most encouraging things uh, Paul says, he says that, that Christ is going to complete the work in them that he's begun. What a great thing that is to think that God's actually going to complete in us uh, what he's been doing. Uh, Then uh, Bill talked about the fact that uh, Paul actually uh, was a Roman citizen. He went through a great uh, deal during his times of travels and got thrown in prison. But ultimately, the fact that he knew his citizenship Uh, in Rome enabled him to deal with the situations that he had, and ultimately our knowledge of our citizenship helps us also. And in the spiritual side, Paul's understanding, his assurance, ultimately he was able to say that even though people may be sharing the gospel for the wrong reason, they're actually sharing it probably to put a negative spotlight on Paul, uh, he said that's okay as long as the gospel is going forward. And last week, Uh, Julie spoke uh, about the fact that, as I said, that Christ has said, or that Paul said that that Christ is going to finish this work in us. How encouraging is that? But also that this is going to be built on a common foundation, the Spirit of God, a common purpose, the gospel, and a common confidence as that church was going forward. So that's where we've been so far. And we're going to continue here today uh, along this line. And the thing, I think the thing that's important to remember is that the theme we're talking about, living in the light of heaven. So as we look at all these pieces of, of Philippians, that's kind of our reference point, living in the light of heaven. And uh, when we think about the concept of light, what does light do for us? It helps you see. 
It, uh, another word is it illuminates things. Uh, What else does light do? If you have wrinkles, what does it do? Well, expose, uh, it, it provides energy, but light also exposes things. Okay, so light has a lot of different functions. And when we talk about the idea of living in the light of heaven, I think the idea is that with the light of God, uh, he is showing us, illuminating for us, making visible to us how we are supposed to live. That that should not you know, be a question, but, but that he would be saying here Here is how we are, in fact, supposed to live. So, uh, getting back, I've been off the artwork track for a while, and let me see if I can do this. Okay, so uh, one of the things that has always fascinated me about some of the great artists is their ability to deal with the concept of light. And this particular uh, artist by the name of Delatour is famous for the fact that he uses candles and firelight in various ways to illuminate the subject. And almost all the work that he's done is like this. This is a particular one uh, called Joseph the Carpenter, if you can all see that. And of course, which Joseph do we think this is? Joseph, Jesus' father, right? So this is a picture of of Joseph the carpenter, and what kinds of things do you see are being illuminated in the picture? Are we on here? We are. So, any suggestions? What what kinds of things do you see illuminated uh, in this picture? What would you describe based on what you see? Okay, Carly. Um, first, I see the the face of the child, but then I also see the strength of the father's arm illuminated. Mm-hmm. Okay, any other things? What do you see illuminated? Mrs. Nebian. His, um, Jesus' hand, you can see through it, which is oh. kind of cool. Okay, okay. any, uh, what else do you see? Any other suggestions this morning? Right, right. in fact, so the the lighting that's going on here is actually enabling Joseph to show Jesus how to do the carpentry work. That's what the light's doing. It's illuminating the activity, the work that's going on, in a way that very possibly Joseph is teaching Jesus how to do the very work that he did. Now this is, in fact, as far as we know, this is Jesus, Joseph's child. Okay, kind of interesting. What's lit up the most? Jesus' face. So begin to see different things just through the technique that this uh, this particular man uses in his teaching. And it's all based around this idea of illumination. Illumination. And the purpose, once again, is to teach us how to do things, to teach us how to live 
in the light of heaven. And that's what the book of Philippians is about. Once again, it's teaching us uh, how to live. Now, teaching's done in a number of different ways. One of the ways that we like to do teaching is we like to lecture. That's, that's essentially what we do when we speak on Sundays, a form of lecture. Now, I know as a midshipman, I attended a couple classes where the first period of the day, 8 o'clock in the morning, the professor would walk in the room, put his arm around the corner of the door, flip all the lights on. We were all sitting there in the dark waiting for him. He'd flip all the lights on. He'd start talking from the moment he walked into the class, and he would talk often facing the board and writing math equations for the entire hour that we were in there. That's classic lecturing. Probably not the best way to teach, but it is part of our capabilities, part of what we do. When we think of better ways to teach, what as parents are we constantly reminded by our children is the right way to teach things? By our example, our actions. You know, most of we got a lot of families with young children, and one of the things that children do learn uh, at a very young age is they learn to recognize us. So as we talk about the faces in these pictures like Delator did, you know, you think of this idea of recognizing, seeing a face, and in this case, in our lives, children often recognize us by our faces, right? And I have to admit, the first faces they really get to recognize are who? Mommy. Daddy takes a little while. Granny and Pop take a little bit longer. But it's such, if, if you've ever followed a mother into the baby's room when the child has just woken up from a nap, they're in there crying, wailing away. Sometimes they may have gotten to the point where they can stand up at the crib edge. And the mom walks in there, and the face just goes, you know, it's just like such excitement on the face of this child. They recognize their parents. But that's just the beginning. That facial recognition is just the beginning. We go on from there to teach our children how to live. And they learn not just by the words that we say. In fact, they learn mostly from the way that we do things. So they learn how to speak, they learn how to walk, they learn about faith, they learn about how to work, they learn all those things by, uh, by our actions and by our experience. So, we are actually going to get to the scripture here. So. Amen. So, once again, this is one particular artist. I love it because he uses light. It's all about illuminating certain things uh, in the subject. So, can I ask somebody to read uh, Philippians 1 through 4? Yes, ma'am. I love volunteers. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Thank you, Melanie. So in this particular portion of Philippians 2, uh, this is not a question, if you have any. This is a rhetorical statement that, he, that Paul is stating. Of course, there is encouragement from being unified with Christ. In fact, the concept of if really means more of a since or because. Not, it's not a if this is happening. It's really this is happening and therefore. So certainly there is an encouragement in our lives of being united in Christ. There's a comfort in his love. There's a fellowship with the Spirit, a tenderness and compassion. And so then Paul says to them, all that stuff is true. I want you to do something. So in all of the things that we talk about in terms of our faith and belief, ultimately they lead to us asking the question, okay, well, what do we do now? What, what, what actions do we take? And that, that's a real kind of a, it's a tension there uh, in the concept of, well, we're not about works. But ultimately, that question comes up, what are you going to do? And in this case, Paul tells them to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Interestingly enough, just a couple you know, verses back, he said, don't worry about these guys that are preaching basically the same way. But he said, that's okay, they're doing that, but don't you do that. He said, but don't do anything about, uh, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. So Paul is encouraging them. He's shining the light. He's given this message saying, this is how you're supposed to live. In humility, considering others as being more important than yourself. So when John talked about the idea of serving... That's exactly right. Jesus has called us to serve. And the attitude that he directs us to have, which we're going to explain now, he wants us to be, uh, to be humble and to give ourselves to serving others, considering them important, giving, the, uh, giving them their time and so on. So he goes on from there because the interesting thing is, when Paul says to do something, it isn't necessarily easy. It's like, for many years, people used to say, let go and let God. You know, that's, there's, not a, there's not a piece of the scripture that specifically comes from, but that was a nice Christian quote that people used to say. Let go and let God. That is really hard. So it's a, it's, a, it's a concept that conveys a certain level of passivity, but it's really hard. So, so many of the messages that we see in the scripture about how to live, they in the end count on the ability of God to help us do something. We're completely reliant on him. He's the provider. He's the one who changes our lives. But somehow there's still a call to how do you get there? How do you let go and let God? 
In the end, somehow it takes some effort to get to that point. So in fact, a lot of times when, I'm, when God wants me to trust him or rely on him, there's some pretty anguishing times to get to that point. It's not just a, oh yeah. You know, and suddenly I'm just, it's like, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you're just really upset about something and the first words that somebody gives you are, just relax. Okay, a great concept. If you want to get smacked in the face, you know, it's a great idea. We as husbands often tell our wives, who tend to be a little bit more emotional than we are, just relax. As if, once again, that was a matter you push the button and, you know, okay, now I got it. It's all, it's all easy now. But Paul tells us he wants us to step forward, not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considering others better than ourselves. Is that easy? Oh, man, that is not easy. Because I have to admit, I, th- I, I think I'm the best guy around. So how can I think anybody else is better than me? It's hard. And even if you're calling on the Lord, and the Lord does some work in you that changes you to enable you to be able to do that, it's still hard. It's not just that you push the button, you relax, and it's all okay. Because as soon as you feel like I've humbled myself towards somebody, maybe it's one of these freeloaders. You can show, I just got through that hurdle. Sure enough, God's going to present me with somebody else that I find it pretty hard to humble myself and to serve or to help or do whatever I need to do. So that's, that is the reality. The things that we are called to do, and we are called to walk on. In our, in our walks. We are called to become more Christ-like in our walk. It's, there is, there is a, a process of being together, of working together with God that works that in us. It's not one of just, just relax and it all changes. So, the next piece, interestingly enough, Paul realizes that it's not that easy. So as we were talking about before, how do we learn best? The fact is we learn best by example. And Paul here declares Jesus to be the greatest example of doing what he's just told them to do. So can I have somebody? Maybe, yes, sir. Thanks, Juan. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, Paul directs us, he shines the light on how we're to live and he shows us the great example. I mean, let's face it. God is the great I am. Jesus is the great example for us as to how to live. If we ever have questions about how we need to live, 
He's the one to look at. He's the one, as you see that picture of Joseph and Jesus, it's not Joseph. It's Jesus ultimately is the one who's going to show us how to live by his very example. And the fact that he did not count it his, but lowered himself, humbled himself to be a servant, to come to earth, to appear in the form of the creation, and even to die on the cross. This is the great act of humility that God shows us over all other things of humility that serves to us as the example for how to live. That he was willing to humble himself to serve those who he loved, even to the point of giving himself to die on the cross. He is the great example. So once again, as we're trying to teach things, we're trying to learn things, ultimately, we have to look at that example. He, he did it better than we're ever going to do it. Did it better than we're ever going to do it. So I'm going to step on here, and we're going to be finishing up. So what I would like you to do before I, I go on, is actually going to step back there is I don't want you to take those pieces of paper out of your pocket and leave them in there, but I want you to think, think on them. I want you to think on the names or the groups or whatever it is that you wrote down, and I want you to think on it in light of this message and ask yourself, is there something the Lord would have me do with respect to these people that have been such trouble to me or whatever the the description you may have for it. So I want to just take a moment in quiet and I want you to just give that some thought and we're going to pray and then we'll finish up. So Father, we thank you that uh, you have been such a wonderful example to us. Thank you that we don't have to go any further than looking at the great humble work that you did in taking our form and coming to us. Father, we ask you today to help us, uh, to teach us uh, humility, to teach us how to serve others. And Lord, even in the names that we've written down in our pocket, Father, we pray that you would help us to have the same attitude that you have toward those who cause us difficulty, to those who we see, whether it's political, whether it's economic, or whether it's a person that's close to us, that offends us, regardless of what it is, that you would work in us. And Lord, just bring about in us the humility that you desire enabling us to serve one another, to care for one another, even to bring the good news to these, Lord. It may just be prayer. It may be reaching out. It may be service. Father, we pray that you would help us, even with these specific people, to do what you've called us to do. Amen. So, as you know, we learn best by example, but ultimately, you've got to practice, right? 
That's what Elizabeth Bennett once told Mr. Darcy. Right? You've got to practice. Okay? This little case was simply a case of practicing. Mm -hmm. An opportunity uh, for all of us. So, what I'd like to do here as we close out, I'm gonna, I've got a couple more pictures, but these scriptures, if we could stand together uh, and read these, uh, they, they once again illuminate the message. They help remind us of what we've been talking about. They help us to think on the face of Jesus Christ. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 4, 4 to 6. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Once again, the the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-creasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So the last part of the scripture, I'm just going to read uh, as a matter of final prayer, and uh, the musicians can come up. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.